Today, I've got a special guest on Helen Blondell to talk about making belly dancing into a business. Helen, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You've got a book, you're a published author, you have online products, and you do different events and things like that. So a lot of things to cover. Yeah, I'm super excited. <laughs> awesome. So let's talk about just how things started in the first place. What, what first got you into belly dancing and singing? Because you do a little bit of both. Uh, kind of a, a few different things. Yeah. So the first thing that came was singing. Ever since I was about eight years old, I was always passionate about music, and that's something that I wanted to do. I just knew immediately that I wanted to do it. So fast forward a couple years later, in in high school, I got accepted into an art school, and that was for my vocals for singing. And then every Wednesday, they used to have like a recital. And one of those Wednesdays, I saw a belly dance group. And it was like love at first sight. I saw it and I, I loved it, like the sparkles, the music, everything. And so I immediately started to learn and it just, the passion just grew from there. Nice. Yeah. So did that just become taking classes, kind of learning the ins and outs of it? Yes. Very cool. So... When did that start to become something that you thought you could actually make money with? Because I would imagine a lot of times something in the in the field of artistry, maybe singing, dancing, something like that. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of times it starts as more of a passion. But mm -hmm. was that something that you immediately saw as like something that could make you money? Yes. From the moment I started both me like singing and dancing, I immediately knew that I wanted to make a career out of it. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So... Knowing that you want to make a career out of it and being able to get to that point, two different things, right? Yeah. I would imagine there was some challenges and first oh. being able to get there. What were some of the first big hurdles to overcome? Well, the first one was actually finding the opportunities because the performance arts is already an industry where it's very difficult to make money and it's very saturated, especially here in Florida. So that was the biggest challenge and i would say the challenge after that after getting the opportunities is keeping those opportunities marketing yourself and then making sure that other people understand your value now i would imagine that has to start out with you kind of wearing all the hats and doing everything was that yes <laughs> did you have any kind of people helping you at first or was it really just getting out there to all kinds of places it was all just getting out there especially with with the singing because with singing I did a lot of events a lot of it was just putting myself out there signing up for things audition after audition with belly dancing it was kind of similar but I joined a troupe before going solo so I had the mentorship from other people and that helped me out greatly because in the world of belly dance, it's very, it's all very similar. Any type of performance art you do, whether it's belly dancing, singing, uh, comedy acting, it is very much about connections and networking as well. Now, was, was the connecting and networking something that came naturally to you or was that something that you had to kind of develop as you got into this? That was definitely something that I had to develop. Um, I would say my biggest forte is creating, but fostering 
the relationships with different businesses and things like that, that was definitely challenging for me. But I think it also happens once you get into it and once you know more people, you're also more comfortable and it's it's the same with everything. It just takes practice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would imagine that just not coming naturally, there was probably some challenges early on. Oh, Are yeah. there anything, any things that come to mind, like any moments or times getting into it that where it felt very difficult or just like it was going to be a lot harder than you had signed up for? I think the the thing that made it difficult was discussing the numbers. Mm. Especially because my I, as a performer, since I was doing so much as a... Uh, as an art enthusiast and not so much as a business person, just the thought of bringing up numbers made me very uncomfortable. And I think all of us have that that inner dialogue, right? Especially when we're starting out with something. So, you know, you've been doing this thing for as long as you can remember as a hobby. And all of a sudden now you're trying to get paid for it you're going to be met with the question, what makes you different from the other people? Uh, Why should I pay you this number when so-and-so is charging me half of what you're charging? So even just the thought of having those conversations were very difficult at first. Let's get into that a little bit. I, Mm -hmm. I like this topic a lot because I think this is something that many people that are early on, whether it be something in the performing arts or even just any kind of service-based thing, I think, when you're being when you're charging money for what you do, mm-hmm. whether it be for your knowledge or your skills, I think it's a difficult hump to get over. Oh yeah. How how did that look for you getting over that? What were what was the internal dialogue for you? Well, what I ended up learning, and I only learned this over time, but you want to be in spaces where you're valued. If somebody's not going to want to pay you what you're worth or the number that you set for yourself, then that's not the opportunity for you. I also believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that we are in the right places at the right time for a reason. So if an opportunity is just not clicking with you or if somebody's not seeing eye to eye with what you have to offer and agreeing to pay that rate, then on to the next client. So it sounds like it's very much about just a numbers game. It's about mm. putting yourself in front of as many opportunities as possible. Exactly. Is that What does that actual day-to-day volume look like for you? Is that a lot of phone calls, is it a lot of emails? How yes. are you finding a lot of these opportunities, early on at least? Everywhere. I'm, I'm finding them everywhere. So oftentimes I'm checking my emails. I have a personal email. I have a business email. I have my DMs on Instagram. I also have TikTok. So what I find, and there was this analogy, and I forgot where I saw it, but I think it was so cool. Have you heard of the, the red car theory? I haven't, no. Okay, so how, I'm going to ask you, okay. how many red cars have you seen today on the road? I can't think of any. You can't think of any. Now, if I told you from from this moment moving forward to count how many red cars you see on the mm, road, okay. will you see all the red cars? You'll, you'll probably see They'd them. They'd probably be everywhere. So it's the same with opportunity. If you don't look for opportunity, you won't find as many opportunities. But if you already start your day 
looking for those opportunities, you'll find many more. So that's kind of how I go about business and looking for leads. Everywhere is an opportunity. If you go to a party, that's an opportunity. If you make a TikTok or if you get on, I, I hear that Snapchat has like a public feature now. So there's opportunities everywhere. Everyone watching you, everyone in your space is an opportunity to find something. Everybody has birthday part. Well, most people have birthday parties. A lot of people have celebrations for different things. And if they don't need a belly dancer, they'll possibly need a singer or something else. Yeah. I think to extend that metaphor a little bit, the red car metaphor, another thing is that you have to be clear on what an opportunity looks like for yeah. you. If you if you're trying to spot red cars and you're looking for blue, yellow, and green cars, you're not going to find the right thing. You exactly. have to understand what the opportunities are for you and do some mm -hmm. really intentional thinking and, and laying out of what those are. Yes. Was it, immediate, was it pretty immediately obvious to you where or what types of opportunities to look for? Or was there a little bit of a learning curve there? There was a learning curve because there's a huge misconception, especially in belly dance, that it is very similar to... Uh, let's say something that you would find at a bachelor party. And that's not what it is. It's a cultural dance. Um, but at the same time, I do understand that people who don't know simply don't know. And it's all about redirecting potential clients and also redirecting where you seek your opportunities. That's why myself and many other professional belly dancers, we don't even entertain the thought of performing at a bachelor party or performing at a nightclub. Right, mm -hmm. because there's just the wrong type of expectation there. Exactly. So what do most of the right type of, so that, that's obviously the wrong type of mm -hmm. events. What is the right type of event usually for belly dancing? Is it usually cultural, like very like culturally dependent on the, the actual birthday parties? Yeah, so it, it can be cultural and it can also be uh, not cultural. For example, um, I've done events where I dressed up as Jasmine, and that was not really relating to anything cultural. It was just mainly me dressing up as Jasmine, and I did dance, but it wasn't necessarily only to Middle Eastern music. On the other hand, I've performed at many Middle Eastern weddings, many birthday parties, graduation parties. So it's a little bit. It's a little bit of everything. Okay, so. Kind of talked about how you got into it. What were, what are some of the other challenges that you came across after you figured out the networking thing, right? That was kind of the big, the big challenge we talked about early on is figuring out how to put yourself out there in the right way. Mm -hmm. What about consistency? How did you create like an actual consistency to the amount of work that you're doing? Because I would imagine that would be difficult, especially yes. early on first starting when you're trying something new people aren't necessarily aware that you're out there yet. Yeah. How did you get to a place where you felt like you were consistent? Yeah, so that depended all on discipline. And it's very different going from working a nine to five to making your own schedule. Because when you have a nine to five, you know when you need to be at work, you know when to clock out. You, If you're working under a manager, you they delegate the work to you but when you're a sole proprietor when you're doing all of that work on your own 
you kind of have to be the manager, the admin assistant, the scheduler, everything. It's all on you. So for me, it was definitely a learning curve. Um, but I also feel like when you're passionate about something, it's not so much work. Yes, it is work, but you have that little spark behind you that's telling you to go. And, and that's what it was for me. So I had to write down everything in my planner because it was to the point where I had show after show, invite after invite, phone call after phone call, plus all of my my personal life, my social life, and I was starting to double book myself. So I was like, okay, I have to do something about this. So I started writing in a planner and yeah, just scheduling as I go. Now, eventually I'm sure you get to a point, especially for you, you've got a big following now, you get yeah. to a point where you're, you probably have an excess of demand for at least what you started out charging for these mm -hmm. types of things. So yes. how do you balance that? How do you know when it when it's time to increase your prices or to change the way that you do business because your demand has increased? You know, that's a really good question. It's been very natural for me. I just kind of knew, um, especially when the followers started growing and when the demand started increasing. I just knew to increase my rate little by little and also be aware of what other dancers are charging in my area and um, also keeping their popularity in mind as well. And just to make sure that I'm not charging way above the, the median rate and also not way below, which it, it's not below, but it, it is possible to, to do that. And you don't know if you don't know. So it's important to just be aware of what other people in the area are charging. For you, does that look like keeping in contact with those people and just kind of staying up to date on their pricing? I, I, cause I would imagine that's something that's very similar across industries. I yes. think I've always observed that whatever industry you're in, you have to be talking to the other people in that industry to really get an idea of how they're charging and what makes sense and that kind of thing. Exactly, yes. Um, the entertainment community, the belly dance community, as well as the, the singing community, we're all very transparent about our rates. So I think a lot of people, and, and I wanted to go back on something, I think a lot of people who are just starting out in this industry, they might feel intimidated to reach out to people with a little more experience than them but don't feel intimidated uh it's better for the whole as a community to communicate with each other because then if you as a beginner are charging way less that brings the expectation down for everyone so now you're making less money people with more experience are making or being expected to charge less when actually you could raise your value and now you're making more money. So everybody wins. <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of people just have that, that hump they've got to get over where they've mm -hmm. got to just like, you almost have to put the cart before the horse sometimes and just exactly. say, I have to charge more until I find the right opportunity. Exactly. Now, when, when you come across the, I'm sure along the way, you probably had times where it was difficult and there, there might've been a lack of 
business coming in. Mm -hmm. How did you make it work in the early days getting into it? Were you working multiple jobs or were you? And so just kind of fitting in the belly dancing and the singing where you could? Yeah. So actually belly dancing and singing was my side job for a very long time. Actually up until 2020. I was, so I went to school for hospitality management. And while I was in school, I was also uh, working in a hotel. And then after graduating, I transitioned over to a human resources position and I was doing that for a really long time while I was still doing the belly dance. And I think this is important too because a lot of artists and aspiring professional artists feel like they can't do both. But honestly, I'm so happy that I did both because everything that we do is an investment. So whether you're doing comedy, uh, whether you're doing Uh, visual arts, dance, music, anything, you have to invest in everything. So on top of that, not only investing in your art, but investing in what you need, like food, shelter. So um, I encourage people to work as much as they can and still do what they love on the side until what they love on the side can sustain them. You've got to kind of just keep a foot in both camps until until you've got the thing actually established. I think a lot of mm-hmm. people probably try to jump into it too early and then mm-hmm. fail because they don't have the the basis to be able to fail. If exactly. Because if you are failing at the new thing, I mean, you have to fail at the new thing for a while before it can actually support you. You have to get over that learning curve. So exactly. if you don't have any kind of security built in on the other side, then ultimately you're not going to, you're going to fail and not be able to continue because you didn't give yourself enough support. Exactly. Yes. I think it's smart that you did that. And that's probably a huge part of what allowed you to really make it. Cause it sounds like it, it took a while to get over that learning curve. Yeah, it, it really, it really does. And also I think anything that you do, even if it's not your passion, you can still learn from it. Uh, I'm not particularly particularly passionate about human resources but it's something that I also like and something that I learned from you can learn so much from anything you do whether it's in sales uh, or anything else like you're always taking knowledge from one thing or it's important to take knowledge from one thing and see how you can apply it to what you're doing currently I completely agree with that point. It's, I mean, in order to really build your, your skill set and your experience, a lot of times you have to kind of extend when you have a new opportunity, whether it be a new job or a new business venture or something, you kind of have to, to grow fast and to be able to expand fast. You kind of have to extend yourself past what you've been able to do so far. And usually the best way to represent that is by really drawing on and thinking through the experience that you've had Mm -hmm. and, figuring out a way to combine that and show, hey, I have all these skill sets and these this experience. Here's what I can bring to the table. Exactly. And that's something that you can also add to your response when people ask, why should I book you as opposed to this other person? We all have our experience our own experiences and our own skills and accomplishments that make us unique so it's important to really hone into that and use that as something to get us forward 
you never know when that's going to resonate with someone. You might have mm-hmm. come across an opportunity. For example, for you, you might have come across someone where you drew on some of the human resources experience and they thought, oh, wow, she's really got a good ear and eye for managing people and processes and things. She's probably going to do a lot better with the communication and the process or something like that. Like even that's the thing that came to mind for me, the human resources experience probably was able to show people she's great at communication. She can, she understands what needs to go into this. Exactly. Yeah. So to talk about a little bit different type of thing, I wanted to cover the book. I've got your book right here next to me. It is (laughs) Belly Dance Business 101, very unique to what you do. I would love to talk about this a little bit and just what went into it because it seems like it's kind of a guide to what it is just making a business out of belly dance. Yes. So when I, so around 2019, um, a lot of my stuff started getting viral and I started getting a lot more opportunities in the entertainment space. And that was around the time where I was just transitioning over from being a full-time human resources specialist over to being a full-time entertainer. So I started getting a lot more questions, a lot more DMs from other aspiring entertainers on how I was able to do it. And it was a lot of the same questions over and over again. So I thought, why not just consolidate all of this and put it into a book? And I always wanted to make a book anyway. So I was like, this is perfect. This is this is meant to be. <laughs> I think I, this reminds me of a quote I heard a speaker say at a conference recently that really stuck with me that I think is really important. He said, we're most qualified to help the people that we once were. So I think what happened That's there true. is that all of these people who were aspiring to have the kind of success that you've had that you were having, that you were showing by having these viral moments. I think people saw, wow, she's been where I've been. She figured it out somehow, how there must be something to that. Uh, So I think there's an opportunity for anyone who's had huge success in something to be able to kind of productize that knowledge. How did you go about organizing all of that? Because we talked about a little bit off air about how the organizing of all that information is a whole new challenge in and of itself. And that's something that you had to actively take on and and a a new challenge for you to figure out. Yeah, Um, it was it was difficult at first because, of course, it it was my first book. I didn't know what to expect. So uh, what I ended up doing and, and this is it's kind of wild when I actually verbalize it, but I literally went into the notes app and I thought of all of the different questions that people had asked me in the past. Then I organized it um, in a way that it would kind of make sense. So with that, I also went back and thought about kind of my challenges and I wanted to do it in order. So when you look in the book, you're gonna see like an order of that. It, It first talks about discovering yourself as a dancer and toward the end it talks about like when you're already there so there is an order to it and I did that on purpose because I kind of wanted the aspiring professional dancer to know how their journey is gonna go because we can't even think about uh, dancer etiquette or administrate administrative skills if we don't first identify 
who we are as a dancer. You need to know that first. So um, that was kind of my process, and I did that intentionally. I think it's great because it, it really is just, it's all these milestones from your own journey. And I mm -hmm. looked in the table of contents there. I loved how tactical it was. It Thank seems you. like it's this great combination of tactics and other kind of less tactical stuff, like the finding yourself. So yes. I heard that. I wanted to ask about that as well, because that seems, I, I have a very logical brain. I think a lot of people do. And it's sometimes I think, especially if you're trying to make it in a creative pursuit, I think people can have a tough time attacking things like that, like finding yourself and finding what your role is in your particular area. What does that look like for you? And or how did that look for you? Yeah, so for me, it took putting myself in different places and being uncomfortable and kind of analyzing what that discomfort felt like and why. Um, it took me a while to discover exactly who I was because I didn't, so I didn't have someone to tell me who, discover who you are. All I knew was, okay, I'm learning these moves. Um, so-and-so is a great dancer. Let me, let me see how, how she does it. And then so-and-so is an, another great dancer. Let me see how she does it. But then let's look at singers for example we can't compare uh let's say wow there's so many amazing singers out there but uh let's let's think about uh prince and mm, taylor swift they're both successful artists uh very talented but you can't compare them because they're both very different and they both have different artistic identities and it's the same thing with belly dance i think because it's a lot more niche when you're starting out you think that you have to be cookie cutter and that's not the case this belly dance belly dancer a can do one thing and dress one way and belly dancer b can dress a completely different way and execute their moves a completely different way that doesn't make either one better than the other and that's not something that a lot of belly dancers talk about so but that is a challenge that I went through because I was comparing myself to other belly dancers and not realizing that I can do something my own way while still re being respectful of the moves and doing things correctly technique wise but also having my own kind of style. I think you're hitting on something really interesting here. I think this is where real innovation in any industry comes from, is whenever you're able to really lean into, okay, you're, you're in this particular industry, you're doing this thing, but you really lean into what it is that makes you different mm -hmm. and don't try to adapt that into what other people are doing that's made them successful, mm -hmm. but use what could make you more successful, what makes you unique to do it a different way that hasn't been done before. Exactly. It sounds like you figured out a way to do that. Yes, and that only happens with trial and error. If you told me back in 2018 that I would have a TikTok and that would be where my primary audience is, I would not believe it. So it's also about kind of just putting yourself out there in all places that you can and kind of forming that identity you know and and we're always learning so 
where I am right now might not be the same as where I am in a few years. There might be a new platform that comes out. And so we're constantly evolving and developing as artists, as creators, and it's just important to lean into that. So you have a couple other things as well going. We talked about the book, you have music and you have a course. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about both of those as well. I'll start with the course because I think that kind of parallels the book in a way probably. it's. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that it's kind of a course on navigating the belly dance space. Is that right? Well, yeah, um, yes and no. So I do have an online course that covers business, but that's separate. Um, my intro to belly dance course is more talking about like the actual techniques. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I feel uh, students would want to start off with first before reading the book because the book is for people who are ready to transition over to being a professional whereas intro to belly dance is teaching like the actual moves and and the music and how to do it very cool okay mm -hmm. so if you if someone completes the course and learns the actual techniques and then maybe implements those in their actual in their life for a while does some gigs over time and then they wanted to transition out of working full time into doing what you've done. Mm -hmm. That's what would lead them to the book. Exactly. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Now the music, um, I'd, I'd like to cover that a little bit too, because this is a completely different area that you're in. It yeah. seems like I kind of looked into what you do and it seems like there's some crossover where you're maybe doing them together sometimes. Yeah. But you'd shared with me that you have music on Spotify and that you're really expanding on the singing career and even doing vocal lessons. Yes, yes. So singing was my passion even before I got exposed to belly dance. So um, music has always been a part of everything that I do. Uh, I think kind of my involvement as as a musician has helped me as well understanding music in belly dance but with my music it was expressing myself kind of going into real life situations that I've been through writing the music and then coming out with it so that people who listen can kind of know my experience uh, it's really fun um, and so what I've tried doing and what I continue to try doing in the future songs that I come out with would be um, really mixing the two. So I have a song out called Watch Me Dance and it's literally a song about belly dancing. So it's so crazy to put in, to write and sing about dancing because it's like I'm, I'm doing both at the same time, so. Yeah. It just uses two different parts of the brain together, probably. Exactly. So it's really cool. I really enjoy it. I want to talk about the writing process a little mm -hmm. bit, too, because obviously you've had a few different forays into it that mm -hmm. builds into the singing and the songwriting, as well as the book, probably the course as well. Yes. What does the writing process look like for you, the creative writing process, I guess? Yeah. So what comes to me first is the idea. So I'll think about what I want to write about. If I'm thinking about a subject, for example, I'm thinking about, about dancing, that's the first thing that comes to, to mind. Then the next thing is finding a good beat. So once I find a good beat or a good background uh, track for my, for my song, I listen to how that beat sounds 
and then the third step is the melody so however that beat sounds i'll go with i'll make a melody that sounds similar to that so that it's um congruent with the music and then the fourth step would be actually coming up with the lyrics and that is a bit of a challenge uh, I found myself literally up almost all night <laughs> trying to find like the right words and everything but at the end of the day when it flows it flows and if it doesn't flow then I just come back to it the next day and see if there's any new ideas that come to me okay so it's just this kind of continual iterative process just yes. trying to make it better more and more yes very cool what about on a totally different note what have been some of the the most difficult parts of this entrepreneurial journey for you? I know we've talked about a couple little challenges here and there, but what have been some of the most difficult things that have taught you the most? I think the most difficult thing that I've faced as a entrepreneur, especially in the creator space and the artist space, is being mindful of my environment. I think the norm a lot of us have been brought up to believe that the norm is going to school getting a good job and working for the rest of our lives and while that is a great thing for for many people i also feel like if you have a passion and there's something you want to do you cannot be in an environment with people who are speaking poorly on your dreams and expect to flourish. Um, I might, I, I don't think I remember the animal, but if I'm not mistaken, I think it's a turtle. If you, if you know, let me know. <laughs> but turtles, apparently, they only grow as big as their tank. Oh, wait, yeah. no, I know this. It's, um, yeah. it's goldfish. Goldfish, goldfish. yes, yeah. yes. Goldfish, they only grow as big as their tank. So if you have a small tank, you can't expect to expand past the size of that tank. So it's the same thing with people in the creator space or business owners, or whatever, whatever dream you have. You need to surround yourself with people who are like-minded, uh, they don't have to do or, or have the exact same ideas as you or agree with everything, but you really don't want to be limiting yourself. I think that was the most challenging thing for me. Um, also, I think it's important, uh, just advice, uh, if you want to get started on something and you haven't yet, it's important to read, expand your knowledge, get a mentor if you can, or if you don't have access to a mentor, look at the people that you look up to and use them as inspiration for, for what you wish to do. There's a book that I read uh, called How Successful People Think by John C. Maxwell. I highly recommend it. And there was a whole section of that book that speaks about your environment and keeping, you are the total of the five or six people that you keep around you in your circle. So if you see that the people in your circle are not motivating you or maybe they're not motivated, obviously you can still, you know, motivate them to be the best they can be, but it's so important to be around people who are going to speak life into you. I completely yeah. agree. Mm -hmm. I um 
I had an idea not too long ago that I ended up sharing in a talk I did recently mm-hmm. that I kind of came to the realization recently that obviously one of the biggest qualities to have, I'd say the two biggest qualities when you're beginning in entrepreneurship, I would say are discipline and focus. Absolutely. And we talked about discipline and that's something that I think comes from very internal sources. You have to kind of develop that on your own. Yes. Focus, on the other hand, I think comes a little bit externally. And I, mm-hmm. I have a little bit of a conflicted view on this. I, I don't think it's in line with how everyone feels about this. But to me, I think you develop focus by controlling your environment. You can't really be focused if you are around the wrong people. So for mm-hmm. me, I think focus really just comes from surrounding yourself with the right peers and mentors. Absolutely. And that makes that makes a lot of sense. I never thought of it that way, but it's very true. Like if you're hanging out with people that uh, want to achieve the same things as you or, or they at least have the same level of discipline and they're going after what they want, you're going to feel a lot more motivated to do the same. Whereas if you're hanging out with people that maybe they don't have the same amount of discipline or they don't really wish to do the same things or or have those similar goals, it's going to be very, very hard. And it does affect your focus. If you have your entire circle calling you every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to go out to the bar, yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to wake up early, you know. And then if you do change your lifestyle where you're going to bed early, maybe limiting uh, how much you, how much time you give to partying as opposed to, you know, maybe staying home that one night. Eventually, your circle is going to drift. You're going to naturally drift apart. So, yeah. Have you had moments in your life where you've seen your circle change drastically over a short period of time? Yes. Yes. Has that, it's had that effect for you, I would imagine? Yes. Yes, it did. And it was just one of those things where you can always wish people the best. And and it, it specifically, I noticed it happened right after college, of course, right? Because you, you foster these relationships with people in, in college and that is your time to go out and do things and explore the world. But then as you start to become more serious in what you want to do, you might notice that not everybody is on the same path. And you can still be supportive of them. You can still care for them. But you're just naturally going to drift apart. And in the opposite end, you're going to find yourself in spaces where you meet a lot of people who are on a similar journey as you. I think that, so one thing I'm sure you experience even more than me, just as the following has grown, I think the internet is incredible for that. Mm -hmm. Because creating content and following the journey of creating content and the places it takes you mm-hmm. just naturally puts you in the space of like-minded people and yes. people that are on that similar journey. Yes. I've seen that just even early on in my content creation journey, I, I've seen it's a it's a drastic increase in just the, the types of people that are on that kind of journey. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important to just use the internet in that way. It can be it can be a negative if your focus is in the wrong place, or it can be an extreme positive if you're using it to put yourself or put put the right types of people around yourself. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And and it's very true for, for me as well. I've met so many people, well, not officially, but on the internet I've met, I've had the ability to meet so many people who do what I do and they're in Atlanta or LA and we speak and we give ideas to each other um, and it's a great thing because I feel like maybe 15, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have had these opportunities. So again, it goes back to seeing opportunity everywhere. So mm-hmm. seeing opportunity everywhere. I think you mentioned it earlier. It's mm-hmm. it's being at that party and saying that there's opportunity there. Yeah. It's just keeping your focus on the forefront. I've observed the same thing, even just I, I've made business deals from someone that I met at a party where I just like I wasn't there for business, but I met someone and ended up following up just because I happened to be talking about it. I think it's important as an entrepreneur to really kind of lead with what you do because you have to always be capitalizing on opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. What, how do you strike the balance though for you personally? Because I think people, people have this weird flawed view of entrepreneurs where they think, how can you possibly be just working all the time have you always have you ever found that it's a tough balance to strike or is it something that comes naturally for you because you're passionate about it yeah so that's a really good question because that has happened to me where I was so in it like in the entrepreneur mode that I was literally making content every single day uh, reaching out to people almost every single day um, and I was booking myself to the point where I was busy literally almost every single week, like all the time, and I didn't have much time for myself or for a social life. Um, I do think that as a business person, if you have a certain goal um, that it is going to come with sleepless nights, it is going to come with, you know, sacrifice of that time, but... I feel like once you get over the hump, it is important to take some time off. And I learned that the hard way. Um, It was to the point where I was really, really stressed out and I felt like I wasn't even performing at at my best potential. So when that happened, I took some time off and now I have to be mindful and say, okay, on Tuesday... I'm going to take a day for me. And sometimes I even write it in my calendar. This is your off day. Do not check emails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would imagine the weekends are probably one of the busiest times for exactly. you, especially with the gigs. So yeah. Tuesday yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've observed that a couple times, almost on accident, where I'd, I had something planned way in advance and I found myself just really, really trying to grind to feel like I could even take time off. Mm-hmm. And then I take the time off and I'm like, oh, wow. I Like I, I get up to that point and I'm completely burned out, but I take the time off, I come back and I just feel like a completely different person. It, exactly. it helps renew your focus and I think kind of change perspective too. Whenever you take time off, I, at least for me, I've always observed that you come back with a little bit different focus. Like you're many times not caught up on a lot of the things that might have been burning you out but weren't actually moving the needle forward exactly and it's important to remember that we are human i i know 
especially for myself, sometimes I would be in that mode of like, okay, I, I must do this because I have this, this, and that. And and for me, it would happen to where my, fo- my focus was so much of a laser focus that I wouldn't even think about uh, taking a break for me. But at the end of the day, what you're saying is completely right. We're human and we need to take that time off so that we can come back refreshed. We can come back with a better focus and ultimately provide a better service for other people. Looking forward, Mm -hmm. what is the biggest thing that you're trying to work on in your personal entrepreneurial journey right now? What is the next kind of unlock that could take you to the next level? Yeah, so really what I would love to do is just expand past Florida and possibly expand past the United States. And that's going to come with social media and just continuing what I'm doing and continuing to expand my audience. Um, That's my main goal right now. And hopefully traveling more and to to give in-person workshops. So that's really what I would like to do. Nice. Mm -hmm. I think the content is just a great tool for that. Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk about the content itself Mm -hmm. a little bit because that's something we've kind of teetered on the line of it. But I'd like to get into the decision to start content and how you've seen that transform over time. How did that first start for you? Yeah, so it first started on Instagram where I was just just dancing, literally just putting myself out there dancing. And originally it was just me sharing what I did so that people could see, okay, this is how she dances. I'm interested in learning from her or booking her. And then later on, um, during COVID, I think a little bit after the pandemic. So during, no during, during the pandemic, um, after I noticed that my Instagram was growing, I said, you know what, let me make a TikTok. Everybody's on TikTok. Let me, let me try it. So I noticed that people were doing a lot more of the, the skits and a lot more of the, um, of the, the comedic side of things. And so I said, you know what, let, let me try this. And so now I wasn't just dancing on TikTok, but I was talking about dance, educating people on, you know, the history and also doing funny skits of like everyday things that happen to me because I, I go through a lot of awkward moments in my career and um, making those videos kind of got people's attention and not only other dancers but people in general people who've never seen a belly dancer in their life and so it was really cool to have that feedback feedback that I never really had before on the Instagram space um, where I feel like Instagram is much more focused on the aesthetics or it used to be at least um and, and then on TikTok, it was like people were saying, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happens to you. That's wild. And it was very community focused. Um, and then over time, I just kept kept on doing it. And I grew to almost 700,000 followers. So it's pretty cool. Especially having started after the Instagram. I, I yeah. think TikTok, you just see some explosive growth sometimes. It's yeah. very it's a lot more explosive than almost any other social media. Yeah, exactly. And and the way that you're able to 
really find a community because I have followers who are dancers. I have followers who are just dance enthusiasts, but they don't put themselves on the stage. And then people who are not dance enthusiasts nor dancers, but they still enjoy the content because in one way or the other, they can relate to it. And that's really my goal with with content creation now is to make something that can resonate with people regardless of who they are or what they do. So it comes from a lens of wanting to resonate with people and kind of share your experiences. Is that yeah. similar to the writing process for you then? Yes. As far as the ideas, it starts with an idea? Yes, definitely. Uh, because when when I'm writing, whether I'm writing music or whether I'm writing for for one of my TikTok skits, it's always it always starts with an actual situation that I went through. And the thing is, I think that some of us, or at least me, I know I used to get in my own head a lot and think that nobody else could have gone through this scenario. And then I write about it and I share it and I get these comments saying, oh my gosh, I've been through that too. And it's content for other people, but also it's rewarding to myself as well because I realize, wow, people have been through this so let me see what else people have been through so it's it's just really cool and and i really enjoy it yes it's work but it's also very fun and very personal to me it's it's interesting you say that just hearing like the the combination of the two things you said that it's Mm -hmm. this great feedback mechanism for what helps you grow Mm -hmm. in that same way it sounds like it's a feedback mechanism for you and for your ideas and your experiences just to kind of hone what's going on Exactly. What what have been some of the the big milestones on your content creation journey in particular? Big like unlocks you've had or big successes that you've had? Yeah, so one of my most viral videos was when I was talking about what what some people say to me, some of the the negative things that people say to me in my craft and I did it to a trending to a trending sound and it's so silly uh thinking about it because you would never imagine but it was like the anime walk i don't know if you've seen that trend on tiktok i haven't now <laughs> so it's it's an anime walk and they have like the the background music and then you just say various things that people have said to you and it blew up i had so many people i had a nail tech who commented And she said that she hears the exact same things that I hear in my business. And it was at that moment that I realized, wow, this is not just something exclusive to belly dancers. This is exclusive to business owners of all different um, focuses. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, like even at the the early level I'm at, I run advertisements for my business through the form of content and there's so many people out there that are just waiting to to put some negative comment on something it's it's actually kind of unbelievable like i'll show my girlfriend or my friends like the different things that get commented and they're like are you serious like yeah. what why and i was like i don't know like it, it's it's, it's very odd how do you deal with that personally because i can imagine at the the level just I mean, 700,000 on TikTok. Uh, it's a 60-something on Instagram I saw. Mm-hmm. At that level, there has to be 
I mean, everything get it gets amplified, right? Yeah. There has to be a lot of negative comments coming in at for all different types of things. How do you deal with that? Yeah. So my primary way of dealing with it is making it into content, making it into <laughs> a skit. Uh, so many of my skits, especially the ones that get the most views, are those skits where I'm talking about the the negative things that people say. Um, because I noticed that sometimes those negative things can be, it can make the most comedy, you know? And sometimes the things that are the most relatable can also be really funny if you kind of package it in the right way. Um, of course, sometimes people hear it and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you have to go through that. But at the end of the day, this is something that we all go through, um, in, in various times of our careers as entrepreneurs. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So if I can at least make content about it and laugh at myself and laugh at the situation, I think that's the best thing. I think so too. If you could stay laughing about it and not mm-hmm. take it personally in that way exactly. and, and let it just fuel further growth, then it's almost like bring it on, bring on more negative comments. Exactly. And also there was, I I follow Gary Vee. He has been a very, it's so wild because um, when I was, before I transitioned fully from my full-time job over to being a full-time content creator and entertainer, I did have a moment where I was kind of not, not losing hope. I never lost hope, but I was really stressed out because I was thinking, oh my gosh, like when is this going to happen? Maybe kind of going ahead of myself a little bit. And Gary Vee was one of those creators. Him, Robert Greene, um, they were some of those creators that I kind of looked up to. And there was something that he said that resonated with me. And it was, don't take the negative comments too seriously but also don't take the positive comments too seriously. I think what happens a lot of times, especially when we get a large amount of internet attention that we're not used to, we can let a lot of the great comments get to our heads. And when we give those great comments power, when the negative comments start coming, we give those just as much power. So we need to see other people. Obviously, it's good to appreciate the positive feedback that we get. But at the same time, it's important to focus on what you wish to do. Because if you let those negative things get to you, then it can negatively impact your energy when you're putting in the work. Yeah, if you if you give it too much power, then, it's, then you're letting it become feedback that... Mm-hmm could stop you from doing the thing that you need to be doing if you're getting negative feedback if you previously knew and felt comfortable with the fact that that content and that thing was the thing that you needed to be working on Mm -hmm. and then you give it power it could hold you back from doing it more if you ignore it whether positive or negative you just stay on your consistent journey exactly and also you can always look at it this way a negative comment is still a comment and it's great for the algorithm so (laughs) i I think about that a lot too i always try to respond to him and just be like and like i'll usually try to ask a question just be like why did you think that or like Mm -hmm. or even just try to like keep the conversation going (laughs) yeah so they can just be like 
Yeah. And then you get the comments, so it's perfect. Those, <laughs> the people that leave the negative comments are usually the ones to respond quicker than anyone to. They're like, oh, my God, they actually it, responded. Exactly. It's, they're just looking for the response. Exactly. So it's great for the algorithm. I think anything that's negative can be turned into to something positive. Even in, re- in real life, we, we have negative experiences, and there's always something that we can learn from that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think the basis of growing as a person is taking your negative experiences and your hardships and figuring out the silver lining or the way forward through them and using yeah. that as leverage to take you to the next level. Exactly. I agree. What do you what do you think are the biggest things that young entrepreneurs face right now? Or the biggest challenges that young entrepreneurs face right now? Um Definitely attention span, uh, discipline. Attention span and discipline, and those are both uh, related. Um, I think now we live in a world where everything's super quick. Uh, Reels is six to 15 seconds. Um, uh, TikTok is very similar. And we have all of this content that's pushed on us minute by minute, second by second. And we can get very lost in the sauce, right? We can be stuck on our phones for such a long time. And then on top of that, we see all of these other things and say, oh my gosh, there's like 20 different people doing what I wish to do. Why, why should I even bother? And then when you have that, it affects your discipline. It affects your, your focus. And then you procrastinate. You don't do what you wish to do because of all of this content that's being pushed out there. But at the end of the day, there's 7 billion people in this world, but only one of you. So sure, are there several belly dancers making content? Absolutely. But each of us has something slightly different to offer. Same with podcasts. Same with comedians same with musicians we all have something slightly different um where where the discipline is concerned is knowing when to consume and when to produce um i think consuming is a great way to disconnect i think it's good to take some time off from thinking about what you're doing and looking at memes (laughs) but always know when to go back to refocusing and doing what you have to do because without discipline and without focus uh, it's going to be very hard to have a to have longevity as an entrepreneur completely agree mm-hmm. how old were you when you first discovered belly dancing again uh, i was 13 13 mm-hmm. if you could write down on that piece of paper and send Mm -hmm. back in like a little time capsule Mm -hmm. just a piece of paper with one thing written on it back to 13 year old helen what would it be their opinions don't matter their opinions do not matter you are going to have if if in anything you do whether it's belly dancing whether it's something else you're gonna have people that want to try to speak down on your dreams or maybe uh, say some any type of negative thing about what you're doing, uh, put things in your head. Um, don't listen to it, okay? Yeah, sure, you can you can take it if you see that, 
the advice is constructive, you can keep it in mind. But always focus on what you wish to do. And if something doesn't work, then do it a different way, but keep going. That would be my second thing is their opinion don't ma- their opinions don't matter. And then the second thing would be keep going. That's important too. I love, I want to circle back to that for just a second because mm-hmm. I love the way you said that is not if, uh, not if something's not working, try something else. But if something's not working, try it a different way. Exactly. Because that keeps you focused on, like you kept saying, the thing that you wish to do. Because yeah. early on, there's this tough thing, there's this tough hurdle to get over where you wish to do the thing, but you you feel like you're not actually doing it yet because you haven't had the success. Exactly. And many people, I think, quit because it's not working. And they think, well, maybe I wasn't meant to do this. But if you yeah. keep that focus on the thing that you wish to do and just realize there's some route to it and you've got to keep trying different ways to do it, eventually you're going to find the right way for you. Because exactly. it's not even necessarily going to be the right way. There's not one right way to do something that works for everyone even. Exactly. It's, there's a right way for you. And so you have to try all these different types. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and when you were saying that, I thought of something else that, you know, is, has been very consistent in my life. You have to envision where you see yourself and it can be in five years. It can be in 10 years. It can just be in a few in six months. But if you're somewhere, right. And you wish to get, if you're here and you wish to get here, already look at yourself as if you're there because then it's kind of like that saying shoot for the moon and if you don't make it you'll land upon the stars but you can still shoot for the moon you just got to keep going you just got to have that vision of yourself and what you want to do and don't let anything stop you and just find those different routes but as long as you have that there and it's like a habit and you're keeping with the consistency, you're keeping with the discipline, you know, you're, you're focusing on what you want in your life, you're going to get there. It's, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. If you can delay your expectation of reaching the result for as long as possible, you reach a bigger and bigger result. The longer you delay, the bigger result you make yourself capable of reaching. Exactly. And and yeah, I think that's that's what a lot of people think. They think, oh, I'm just going to make a couple viral videos and and that's it. I'll get there. And that's not what it is. A lot of people think it's easy. It's not easy. It's not. Uh, You know, you have to keep on going. And when it gets right, when you feel like quitting, right when it's really hard, that's when you have to just keep pushing through. I love it. it. Helen, anything else you would like to leave the audience with today? Yes. Uh, Where can people find you and and what can people find about you? (laughs) Yes. So um, you can find me on socials. Uh, My username on YouTube is Helen Singer Dancer. My Instagram is Helen Singer Dancer. And my TikTok is Helen Singer Dancer. Uh, I try to keep it consistent throughout all uh, websites. And the final thing I wanted to say is that um, a diamond becomes a diamond by being a coal first and going through that pressure, that intense pressure. And then it becomes a diamond and then it sparkles. 
So just realize that this analogy can be part of your everyday life. You might feel like a coal now, but going through that pressure is what will help you to sparkle and be the shiniest version of yourself. <laughs> I love that. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming on. This has been a blast. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. And that's a podcast. Thank you.